What's up, Adam? Hey, Austin. How are you, man? Doing great. Just uh, kind of looking at new safety gear right now. Yeah, what do you think about buying? Uh, I need a new helmet and uh, probably a suit and some Nomex stuff. I want to start doing some uh, wheel the wheel stuff finally. Oh, man. Have you ever heard of OG Racing? OG Racing? What's that? Oh, it's a great company. They sell those things. Perfect. Um, yeah. If, uh, if you go to ogracing.com, uh, tell them Slip Angle sent you. You probably shouldn't. You should just tell them that you are part of Slip Angle. Um, but, uh, yeah, Johnny and the, and the boys over there, uh, they, uh, they do a good job. I just bought a seat there recently. Um, really, really good uh, pricing, too. It was uh, the best price I could find on a Kirky. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a good experience. They got it to me in like two days, too. It was ridiculous. Dang. For all the um, way from Virginia? Yeah, so fast. Nice. <laughs> it was in stock in their warehouse, too. But, uh, yeah, ogracing.com. You can check them out. They've got uh, tons of brands, all the big brands in safety and in uh, car equipment and safety gear and harnesses and helmets and all that stuff. Uh, a lot of brake components, a lot of tools, like Long Acre, and uh, yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of good stuff. So give them a call at 1-800-934-9112 or go on over to uh, ogracing.com and, um yeah, talk to one of their helpful staff and uh, buy some things. Great company to deal with. They've been uh, longtime supporters of us, and we really appreciate it. So, Austin, you should definitely go there. I think I will. Yep. You uh, going wheel-to-wheel things and, and doing fun, huh? Hopefully. Spending all that money. Yep. Uh, maybe you should also go look up uh, our buddies GoFundMe. Um, our buddy Dennis Duff, uh, to listeners uh, who haven't heard us talk about it, our buddy Dennis Duff got injured in a uh, student's car. He was instructing at uh, Road Atlanta. Uh, students saw the checkered flag and did liftoff, uh, oversteer right into the wall, put Dennis right into the wall hard at Road Atlanta. And, uh, yeah, had a lot of medical bills rack up. Um, a lot of stuff wasn't covered by anybody, and uh, yeah, he's got a big medical bill. Uh, and we would really appreciate any of you guys uh, and gals that uh, could help him out. Um, if you want to go to GoFundMe.com uh, and uh, search Dennis Medical Fund, that's the easiest way to uh, to find it. Uh, or if you look look through my Facebook page, a uh, bunch of you know all of our Midwest Trek buddies, a lot of them have shared it. So yeah, if anybody can can help out, uh, we'd appreciate that. And uh, Dennis, uh, Dennis, I think has been on the show for like five minutes one time too. But if you go to any Grid Life or West Michigan Honda Meet or a lot of Midwest events, uh, you'll see him uh, out there instructing, helping out. He's been instructor for us for years. So yeah, go to GoFundMe.com and check out uh, the Dennis Medical Fund. Anything you guys can share would be super, super appreciated. It's a big, big uh, pill for him to swallow to pay for that thing. And a lot of us have donated, and and, uh, and we're going to continue plugging it here until until we get uh, we get him mainly funded. So if you guys can check that out, Dennis, Dennis Medical Fund in the, uh, the search, I believe it's the first thing that comes up. So yeah, those are the things we got to plug. Now we get to do a show. That's cool. Oh, yeah. Let's roll that show. Welcome, everybody, to Slip Angle Show. I'm Austin Cabot. I'm Adam Javay. What's happening, buddy? Not too much, man. Just uh, fresh back from SEMA. Uh, it's been a couple weeks, and uh, while I was at SEMA, I got to hang out in the Honda booth, 
and got to talk to somebody that I've been Facebook friends with a while, or for for a while, but have never actually met in person, uh, Kevin Bohm. So yeah. we actually have Kevin on the show tonight, and I know that uh, you've actually raced against him before, or, or he's competed in classes that you've helped with, at least. And I don't think we've ever actually been on the track together. Uh, I've, I saw him across the way at SCCA runoffs in the tech inspection last year, but he looked busy taking his car apart, so I don't think we've actually talked either. <laughs> so, Kevin, um, uh, welcome to the show. Yeah, yeah, glad to have yeah, you, man. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, for a long time, Kevin, uh, was the bane of STL competitors all over. <laughs> he won a couple of national championships there. Um, yeah, he won but, uh, uh, at Daytona when I was down there. Yeah. Daytona. And then at uh, middle Ohio last year. Oh, that's um, right. Yeah. When we did the live show. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I, I live, uh, I live broadcast that to slip hang of listeners. <laughs> so, uh, that was an exciting race. It was a good race. Um, yeah, what, the, the uh, class is, uh, is, is, it's a lot of fun and uh it was it was pretty cool to because i only raced it for those two years and i was able to win win at both daytona and mid ohio so it was kind of pretty cool to be able to pull off yeah and your car was uh was running again this year with uh brian shanfield um i think it was he the only driver of it this year your your old stl yeah. car uh, he, he drove it in SCCA and then, uh, another, another guy was driving it, uh, in, in NASA in the H2 category. Okay. Uh, what's your, wh- how did you get into, uh, into racing? Like how, what, how did, uh, how did that start for you? You're obviously an engineer for a, a big uh, company that, uh, uh, you know, has a big H on the hood. Um, but, uh, yeah, how did, uh, how did it all start for you? Well, it, uh, it started kind of in college. My, uh, my dad, uh, got involved with, uh, the Porsche club doing some. Uh, kind of went and tagged along a few times and, uh, I was hooked within five minutes of being there. I was trying to figure out just scheming ways that I could drive on track. And, uh, I think my, uh, senior year of high school, um, me and my dad bought kind of a, a completely trashed uh, Porsche 944, uh, one of the the non-turbo slow cars, and uh, we rebuilt it enough to kind of go do uh, some track days with the uh, with the Porsche Club. So he he had a car, and then I was driving that car, and uh, probably the the again the first time I was on track, I, it, it was just like justified everything that I wanted to do, and I was gonna uh, I was trying to figure out a way how I could be at the track all the time and. And that was one of the things that actually like uh, jump started my my need to be an engineer because I I was trying to figure out what kind of profession I could do uh, to to kind of have a job that I could go to the track and and it all kind of stemmed from there and I, I kind of did track days for a long time and then that that snowballed into uh, I turned that that 944 into a, a race car and raced that for a couple of years uh, and by that time I was working for Honda and then. Uh, sold that and then transferred over to the Hondas and have been uh, uh, running with those ever since. The uh, what, what did you run uh, that 944 in? Did you actually wheel the wheel that in uh, in a class or just track days? Yeah, no, I did track days for a lot of it, and then uh, there was uh, it was kind of like a spec 944 class. They had uh, oh, uh, it like was PCA. On, yeah, it was with the PCA, and uh, okay. uh, it was in. Uh, they had a couple of different categories and it ended up being in the, in the faster one. And, uh, that the car was really competitive, had a lot of fun with it, learned a lot of things, learned a lot of stuff I'm not supposed to do <laughs> even, but, uh, 
it was a it was a good learning experience. And then uh, uh, as soon as uh, I started working for Honda and and kind of found out about the the programs that they had, I uh, financially it made no sense for me to to keep running that that Porsche. So uh, it's been that was one of the better decisions I've made to get rid of that car. What uh, yeah, what I, tracks did you start out at? Uh, so I, I went to college in Charlotte, North Carolina. So there was a there was a track about a, an hour south of that called uh, Carolina Motorsports Park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I I that, I'd probably I drove that track. There was a, a good point I think in 2008. I was probably on that track for 35 or 40 days uh, for the year. Nice. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was it was pretty insane. I was uh, kind of. At some point, I got hooked up with the track itself, and I was uh, started kind of. Uh, they had like a uh, kind of a member track program that they just started, and I was kind of helping with some of the the newer members, like learn the track or uh, do that kind of stuff. So I was there working with that program there with Porsche Club. Like I was there for a lot of different reasons, and uh, kind of ended up doing tons and tons of laps there. And uh, then the the other track was. Uh, kind of nearby was VIR, yeah. uh, which is still one of my favorite tracks uh, that I've ever been to. And uh, I did my, I think, first race at CMP and the second race was at VIR. Uh, and I was, VIR is such a such a cool place for sure. Yeah, the uh, the first time I was at Carolina Motorsports Park, I found uh, a wall and, uh, and wrecked my car a little bit there. But man, that's a fun little track. Right. There's like one wall there. I'm pretty impressed that you're able to do that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm super talented at that stuff. <laughs> but the, the, uh, I lifted in the kink, at, at like in, I don't, I don't know how fast I was going, but I spun off to the left and there's a flag station off to the left, like far, far off to the left. And I slid right into it. Uh, like we were, we slid for what felt like a year. Yeah, I bet you had a lot of time to think about that. Oh, uh, it was like just looking out the passenger side door, and it was, uh, it just took forever to hit that wall. <laughs> but, <laughs> that was a good one. But uh, how, what year did uh, what year did you start uh, doing some of that track day stuff? When when about was this? Uh, I think the the first track day was in 2005, uh, okay. and I think. I had turned that car into a, a race car by uh, 2008. I think it was uh, kind of an October race in 2008. Mm-hmm. Now, what made, you guys, it, uh, what made you guys pick up a, a 944? Was it just from wanting to stay with a Porsche brand and uh, run my, something that wasn't very expensive? <laughs> yeah, my, my dad was always a Porsche enthusiast, and uh, he had a, a couple of 944s kind of as I was growing up, and uh, I love the way they looked, and uh, when we found kind of a car with a completely blown engine, and then eventually bought a wrecked car that had a good engine, and we swapped the engine and and kind of refurbished that one a little bit. So we, I think mainly we we found a really cheap way into that car because between buying those two broken cars, we actually built one kind of really cheap car. I don't remember exactly how much it cost now, but it was it was uh, definitely below three thousand dollars or something like that total so it was super cheap and uh, in the end the, that car was so slow like brakes lasted forever it didn't have enough power to, to hurt the tires like you you could do uh track days on a set of tires for forever it felt like so it, that car was cheap uh for a while and then uh the track days kind of caught up to it and stuff started breaking and that that's when it uh, got <laughs> to get rid of it downward spiral at that point yeah 
Yeah, it was, yeah, I, was I actually remember when we were when we were trying to sell that car, we were giving a test drive uh, to somebody, and the the uh, final drive and the transmission blew up, like pulling <laughs> off the barn, on ramp. So, uh, needless to say, uh, it it didn't get bought <laughs> that time. I'm, I was kind of curious how those cars were in consumables, um, but uh, yeah, I guess without without tons of power, you know, almost anything is easy in consumables. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. I mean, it, that that car it was funny because you could you could basically as soon as you turned into the turn, just just go to the floor, and it had unlimited grip when you did that. So uh, it, it lasted for a long time, but then uh, eventually it caught up. <laughs> now, did that car well, what, that you were running? Did it have a uh, one of the LSD transaxles that's increasingly rare now? Oh yeah, it did. Okay. Uh, it, it was one of the super rare ones, which that was one of the reasons why you could just floor it at any time. But uh, yeah. We, yeah, we blew things, the final drive up, the, and somehow it didn't mess the LSD up. So we just changed the the ring and pinion and put it back together and moved on. It worked, still worked fine. Yeah, the the uh, is is that a transmission in the back motor? That's a transaxle, like a like a newer Corvette. Yep. Yeah, that's right. It has a yeah. torque tube and and all that. It 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 was a super pain to change a clutch or any of that kind of stuff because you had to like take the whole back of the car apart to do it. The clutch is in the actual back of the car, then, not in the front. No, the clutch. The clutch is actually up front, but because oh, you have okay. like a okay. solid torque tube, you have to move the transmission and the torque tube and everything back yeah. and you can get the clutch. I've never been underneath one of those, I, and the only ones I've seen on track, uh, besides at some NASA races, have been like in, in 24-hour lemons, and they just swap random things into them. <laughs> it, uh, they're solid cars. That's a, that's probably a great starter car. Um, uh, yeah, I definitely learned learned uh, a lot of momentum driving with that thing because it felt like uh, I think I think your kind of slide to the the wall after the kink was about what it felt like for me every straightaway because it yeah. just took forever to get to the end. <laughs> yeah, and uh, most of my cars are pretty underpowered, so I, I know that uh, that forever feeling on the straightaways. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, what was the transition to uh, like racing Hondas uh, like uh, after driving a car like that? Um, what was the first kind of stuff you got into uh, uh, under under a different manufacturer? What kind of stuff did you drive there? Um, the the first thing that I. Uh, mm-hmm. First, first car I drove, it was a, a 2002 RSX Type S. Um, and it, that car had already been a race car for a while. It, it uh, kind of been beaten up. And uh, I, I was trying to, like, refurbish it a little bit. And uh, I was, I think the this would have been in 2012, I think. Uh, I tried to race it uh, and did fairly well in the Performance Touring C class in NASA. And... Okay. Uh, Honestly, there wasn't a lot of competition, which is probably part of the reason why I did so well, because uh, I it took me a little while to figure out how to drive a front-wheel drive. The, the rear-wheel drive came a little bit easier to me than front-wheel drive, because uh, anyway, it took it took me a little while. But <laughs> yeah, you have to, like, reprogram your brain a little bit. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a kind of a mind warp, and then that car was a little evil to drive when I started uh, working with it, so it took a while to even figure out what the, what kind of tuning changes I needed to make to make the car feel like what I wanted. So that was a struggle as well. Yeah. We've talked about those cars a few times, uh, but I, I've never known anybody that really, really drove those. Those, those cars have basically terrible rear suspension. Um, oh yeah. Like uh, the, to make that car handle, I think that, that year and, and just, just, just uh, to give you an idea of how evil that car was. Like I, I went from a 944 that handled like a, 
like just on rails. And then I went to that car and it had 4,000 pound springs in the rear. And 4, we had to out half uh, So the, oh the car gosh. was just, this, it would understeer until it didn't understeer. And then you were just, you didn't know what the car was going to do. It was, it was oh, unbelievable. Wow. Yeah. I've heard people say that to make that car handle, you have to like make the rear suspension not work, but 4,000 inch pound springs or whatever, or uh, whatever. Wow, that's that's insane. A lot, a lot of regular like double wishbone Hondas, like a thousand, is like crazy high for most people. But wow, exactly. I I don't know how we didn't break the suspension off the car. Yeah, essentially, you had like solid pipes in the back instead of springs. Yeah, you know, just (laughs) a couple of two by fours would have been cheaper than whatever shocks and springs you have back there. (laughs) Now you you raced uh, some IMSA. in the last few years, um, with, uh, was that with Hart with the Honda automotive race team or? Yeah, that, that's right. And about the same time that I started, uh, uh, with that RSX, I, I kind of got started getting involved with the Hart team and, uh, it started out, I was just kind of helping build the cars and then going to the track and kind of crewing and doing that stuff. And, uh, I think it was, uh, 2000, maybe 2013, or 14. I can't remember the exact year. I got to do one or two races in the car. Okay. Uh, and, uh, uh, that, at that point in time, the series was probably the most competitive it ever was. And I was a, a huge thrill to be able to do that. And, uh, and then I think in uh, 2015 and 16, I got to do full seasons in the, in the continental tire challenge series, uh, with heart, which was a, a complete blast. And, and those cars were, were definitely something else uh, to drive. They had uh, really, they were really well prepared, good, really good power. Uh, we had a lot of good people working on the cars to make them handle. And, and uh, mm-hmm. it was, it was a complete joy. Those things were rocket ships. Yeah. What, uh, what chassis was that? That was like the 07 to whatever SI chassis or. Um, the, those were, we, we were campaigning the 2012, um, okay, the brand new, the newer ones. Yeah. 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 So, uh, th- those had the, the K24 engine and, uh, uh, we had the a K20 head on it. Uh, so they were making, uh, pretty, pretty decent power. They, they definitely moved, uh, really well down the straightaway, uh, compared to that 944. So. <laughs> and and all, all this, all this time, uh, I was still trying to figure out front wheel drive because uh, uh, every time the horsepower went up, it was just like uh, it, it. It really freaked my head out to how figure out how to get like the the car to exit turns, and <laughs> it was way easier in rear wheel drive. I'll tell you that. It going going from uh, all those other cars to like a SCCA super touring light car on like little two twenty fives for a bigger you know twenty seven hundred pound car. Um, what kind of challenges did you face with, uh, with getting that STL car sorted out? Like what were the, what were the big hurdles on, on that build? Well, actually it ended up, uh, being a lot easier than I expected. Cause that, that car, uh, I didn't build that one from scratch. That was also kind of a car that had been, uh, passed along through a few different people on the team. And it, it started out as like a, a showroom stock, uh, B car, okay. uh, but it, when it was brand new in 2006 and it, it stayed that way all the way until uh, probably 2014 or so. So it was, it was kind of uh, raced for a long time in a nearly stock form. And uh, I think in 2014, uh, one of the guys on the team, he actually uh, did a lot of the work to transform it into STL. And that was the first year that 
uh, STL was at the runoffs uh, at the at Road America, and uh, the, he I think he was running top five or something like that when uh, with that car. So he the, the car was already fairly competitive uh, whenever I got it. Uh, but the the key to it was everything that we learned or I that to make the the Emza car work with the the kind of higher horsepower because we were actually on two twenty five tires on that car as well. Oh, okay. Um, kind of just uh, transferring that knowledge down to the STL car. It actually because it had s- such lower horsepower, it made that car handle uh, like we always wanted the the Emza car to because it, it didn't have enough power to really spin the tires. So uh, we were able to. Uh, transfer that down and and man that car was it was something else it actually that was the first front wheel drive car that i was ever able to to kind of make handle like the what i always wanted the the car to feel like feel like kind of like all the way back to that that 944 feeling where it was just on rails you could go to the throttle at any time and and it was uh that was kind of a a really good learning experience to to finally get that and and know that a front wheel drive car could feel like that you had a couple of really good races too uh, at Daytona. It was uh, you and Cliff Ira right at the end, uh, like nose to tail almost. Cliff and was at, at the uh, Integra, right? Yeah, it was. Okay. Uh, yeah, the 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 uh, B eighteen C Integra, right? Um, and yep. then yeah, Mid Ohio. You and you and Cattill, who's a buddy of ours. You guys were uh, that was a, that was a, a like a barn burner battle, man. That was awesome to watch at the end. Um, and I heard both of you guys that basically no breaks at the end and it was just, <laughs> but you're still running fast. A couple of really good, uh, STL races for listeners who haven't uh, watched some of those streams. You can find them on, I think on Speedcast TV and a couple other places, but really a couple of really good races, a couple of my favorite races like I've ever watched, but, um, yeah, that, yeah, that uh, mid Ohio race was uh, pretty scary because I think both me and Eric were were trying to to win the race going as slow as we possibly could because <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean it was it was something else. Uh, kind of, I, I remember my my dad was actually on the radio uh, with me, and I'm I'm kind of talking to him, I'm telling him what's going on, and I'm just like, I think I'm either going to have to to try to go to the checkered flag or wreck like i i don't know what's <laughs> going to happen but i'm not going to pull in so it, it was one of those times where you're just like well i'm either going to lose breaks or we're going to win this thing so it was a hard decision to make honestly it's pretty scary for the last probably five laps of that race yeah you, you could see things kind of change for both of you guys uh we were watching from kind of all around the bridge looking see so you, you know we would jump from side to side and um all of a sudden you guys weren't breaking the same as you had been for the previous, you know, half or, you know, 25 minutes or whatever. But, uh, talking to Eric afterwards, he was like, I don't know how we didn't crash. Like <laughs> it was, it was really bad, but yeah, the, um, the worst part about it for me was, uh, at, at some point, um, kind of normally when you're, when you start to lose brakes, you, you start pumping the brake pedal to, uh, kind of get your pedal back and, and start to manage your brakes. But, uh, at, I think, maybe seven or eight laps before the end of the race, I realized that in doing that, it kept getting worse and worse. So I just, I even stopped pumping the pedal. So every time I got to a break zone, I didn't know if the pedal was there or not. I just oh my pushed on it and just hoped it worked. So I, I never, I always found out right about halfway through the break zone, if it was going to, if I was going to make the turn or not. <laughs> oh my, that's uh that, that sends shivers down my spine thinking about that at mid Ohio. <laughs> 
Yeah, I've lost brakes a couple places the there. Thing. It's not the place to lose brakes usually. But. Um, your uh, your day job. Um, can you talk about that at all? What you what you do for Honda? Or? Yeah, I can. Uh, I can talk about some of the stuff I do. I I can't. Uh, I can't talk about a lot of the specifics on on some of the projects that I work on. But uh, yeah. uh, basically, I work at uh, the R and D facility here in Ohio, and uh, I'm one of the. It's. I, I try to describe my job. Uh, it's. It's hard to describe it, but essentially, I get paid to drive like an idiot, and then uh, I, I'm. I get to. Uh, kind of work with some of the suppliers to make the stability control and traction control and ABS uh, keep me safe when I drive like an idiot. And that, that kind of transfers down to the the kind of Honda customers and uh, that, that allows them to kind of be safe in snowy conditions or uh, if yeah. they have to do some emergency maneuver, that kind of stuff. But uh, I'm not driving like an idiot all the time, but uh, it's it's essentially I'm driving crazy and way over the limit all the time and just letting the car <laughs> have to take care of it. So uh, it's I, I, I would uh, I almost wish that I could give people uh, rides for what I do at work because uh, no one can understand how stupid uh, you ha- you can drive with a car with a, a full stability control on it. You can do insane things and the car just takes care of it. It's, it's mind boggling. What, what kind of places are you driving? Are you driving on tracks and in parking lots and in, in different, different traction conditions or. Uh, uh it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's, there's so many different places. Uh, everything. Yeah. Yeah. At, at Honda, there's actually a, a seven and a half mile oval, uh, that has uh, some really steep banking. And then inside of that, there's, uh, probably 20 or 30 different kinds of test tracks, all from uh, uh, this the, a huge, like it looks like a parking lot, except it's probably 100 times bigger than anything you've ever seen. And then oh, wow. uh, there's a couple of different road courses. There's gravel courses. There's super steep hills. And uh, there's a course that simulates uh, snow and ice uh, and just tons of courses just there. Uh, but then we travel all over the U.S. and sometimes all over the world. Um, I'm actually uh, uh, going to be leaving for Finland uh, in, I guess it's less than two weeks now to, to go and test in the snow uh, up in the Arctic Circle. So, I mean, it's we, we go everywhere. I mean, I've, I've been to, uh, been lucky enough to, to test our cars at the Nürburgring uh, all the way to Suzuka and Motegi in Japan. Uh, I've been to New Zealand, uh, with, with, uh, the Acura NSX and, uh, like, uh, just so, so many, uh, so many places be hard to, to describe them all. I think, I think with the, with the NSX, we actually, uh, went to all the major U S tracks, uh, okay. uh, just to confirm all it, just everything that you can possibly imagine with those cars. Just break, try to break it over and over and over. <laughs> oh yeah. Now, when you're Did, when you're tuning stability control, I mean, is it is it the same tune for the stability control across the world for a given platform, or is the U.S. market tuned a little different than say like the Asian market? Well, uh, so if 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 you have a car that's sold and, and it's the same car that's sold in the U.S. and and an Asian or European market, then it then if we develop it in the U.S., then it's the same okay. uh, for all. Uh, okay. But if, for example, if Japan is developing uh, a car, then they'll put their kind of uh, tuning flavor in it versus what we do here. And there, there's definitely a little bit of a difference. Uh, we, we try to uh, 
make it as similar as possible uh, from a global global standpoint. But there's little differences. But uh, just from a from a model standpoint, uh, generally it's it's very very similar. But we're trying to get the same characteristic, but it, it's somewhat complicated because we have different tires and different suspensions and different uh, combinations of cars that you all have to account for. So. Sometimes between one model, there might be six or seven different tunes, depending on what spec car that is. Okay. Interesting. Has there ever been a time where you as an enthusiast want the car to handle a little different, but know that the tune for the stability control needs to be different than what you would actually want? Uh, that's That happens on a on a daily basis, but the, that, that's kind of the difference between uh, my passion from a racing standpoint to kind of road car. So a lot of times uh, I have to kind of check myself and, and remember that uh, not everybody's going to take an Acura RDX and uh, take it off jumps because they went through a, a turn too fast or that kind of stuff. I need to kind of back it down and, and kind of, I think everyone has to think about what a car is being used for whenever you're, you're making those tuning changes. So you can uh, kind of give the best combination of stuff for the customer that they're going to use it for. An RDX off of a jump, that must be uh, pretty interesting. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, the, the probably my favorite one to always describe is a, an Odyssey minivan pulling a trailer, doing a, a jump in the middle of a, the apex of a turn. Uh, that, that's, uh, that's happened before. <laughs> that, that, can't, that can't be a situation that you could replicate in real life. <laughs> that's, yeah, I don't that's recommend so weird. it. The that's car so makes weird. it through a clock. But uh, it, that that's happened before. <laughs> Interesting. Well, I'm glad that my Odyssey minivan could take care of me in that situation. But. <laughs> that's right. Uh, and how does uh, how, how do you think that getting getting this this like weird seat time in street cars? Do you think that uh, that any seat time is good seat time? Like for you know translating into into your racing or? Well, it, it's not directly because uh, I think. Like practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. So, uh, in, in my mind, the stuff that I'm doing at work just helps me be comfortable whenever I'm sliding a car around on a track. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's wet or the tires are going away or that kind of thing. But uh, in the end, uh, the stuff that I'm doing on the racetrack is kind of really only practiced when I'm there. Yeah. So that's uh, that doesn't jumping a jumping on a, a minivan sideways doesn't translate into winning championships too much. Huh? Uh, I don't have no, to prep that way. That on a racetrack, you're probably probably not going as fast as you could. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what uh, what uh, what do you see for for yourself racing in the future? You've you've currently been racing a pretty interesting car that you just kind of built this year. You want to tell us about that and then what you got plans for? Sure. Yeah. The, the car I built this year, which, uh, was a pretty ambitious project. Uh, we, we kind of thought up a little over a year ago now. Uh, but, uh, we, we kind of decided, uh, to try to put a two liter turbo, uh, type R engine into the, the brand new civic coupe. Um, and I'm still not exactly sure how I was able to, uh, convince HPD to help out with that. But uh, we ended up working together uh, for basically the last year to, to put that together and get it running. And uh, uh, it was, it was a complete blast. I mean, there, there was uh, so many parts that came in late uh, to, 
to make that thing happen. And, and we, we barely were able to get in enough races to, to attend the runoffs this year. I remember, uh, essentially the, the last parts I needed to finally drive the car, uh, got, uh, here in Ohio, uh, the, I think it was five days before, uh, the first race that I had to start. Otherwise there wasn't enough races left for me to qualify for the runoffs. Yeah. You needed three, three majors weekends. And I remember asking Eric, like, is, is, is bone bringing that car out? Is that thing happening? He's like, yeah, I think so. (laughs) Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was a a nail biter. Uh, honestly to even get those parts, my, my dad picked them up in North Carolina and drove them here himself just to, just to make sure we got them and to put them on the car. So, uh, it was, it was a, uh, a huge struggle. And then, Fortunately, uh, we, we normally at Honda get the entire uh, week of 4th of July off. And, uh, that first race was at the end of that week. So I got to basically fiddle with the car, uh, for, it was probably, I don't know, every day was probably 12 to 15 hours to try to, to get everything finalized and, and make it to the race. And, uh, uh, even even for that, it wasn't finished when we went to the first race, but it was good enough to, to go out there and, um, a little bit by luck, but we were actually able to finish, uh, on the podium in the first race. And, uh, that, that was a huge surprise, but, uh, the car basically from there, we just got faster and faster and faster. Every time we drove it, we found these little things or sometimes even big things that just, uh, kind of turn that car on. And, uh, in the end, it, it makes uh really, really good power. And it's, it's a, the new Honda Civic chassis is just incredibly lightweight, which made this car, uh, kind of a, pretty easy to build uh, from a chassis standpoint. We were always uh, just struggling with some of the stu- little things that it took to get the engine in the car and get it running and just make make all the electronics work and uh, make everything work together. That was always the, the huge struggle with that car. But uh, yeah, what what, uh, what kind of issues uh, did you have on track with with developing a brand new? Basically, you're the first one that's done an engine swap. I think uh, was there any hurdles to jump over with keeping the car reliable, or did it kind of just go together and work like a Honda? Um, honestly, it, from a reliability standpoint, it just it's your it's your complete poster child of a Honda. I mean, uh, uh, for some some points, it's it's. Uh, since it has a, the, the rules we have, we're, we're required to run a, a turbo inlet restrictor, which kind of limits some of the power we can make, which probably helps a little bit with that reliability. But, uh, based on all the, the information that I know from some of our partners that have raced the European version of this engine, uh, basically I'm well below what I have to start worrying about, uh, from the powertrain from a reliability standpoint. So, uh, really it was just, uh, because we had uh, we we were using a standalone engine ECU, uh, we uh, I, I basically was tuning this uh, on my own and just slowly turning up the power because I only had one of these engines and I couldn't hurt it. Uh, yeah, so yeah. I was just kind of dialing dialing it in little by little and just trying to uh, even teach myself how to how to do that because I I'd, I'd never even tuned engines before. I was always more more responsible for the handling and brakes of the car. So, uh, it was kind of a, a huge pressure on me, but, uh, I, I was able to, to learn quick enough and, uh, fortunate enough never to hurt the engine. There was definitely some close calls, but, uh, in the end, 
uh, the the thing held together the whole time while I was learning how to tune it. And uh, it's, <laughs> <That's a plus. laughs> yeah, yeah. And basically, my fingers were crossed. You, you can't uh, understand how nervous I was the whole first race because <laughs> I didn't have enough uh, time on the car to know uh, what was normal. Every single noise I heard, I just thought, oh, the car's trash. Every, every single noise. <laughs> it's bad. Yeah, now uh, from how? your from your experience and your success, uh, HPD is now selling that K20C1 as a crate motor for people. Yeah, I was just going to say, how does it feel to have it have the car at SEMA kind of showing that off? Yeah, yeah, it was a it was a huge surprise. I mean, we we were talking about it a little at the at the runoffs in Indy, and uh, that's where uh, HPD asked if I'd be willing to to bring the car there, and uh, it was it was a huge surprise because. That's a that's a really prestigious event that I was always just hoping to go and, and attend as a spectator, much less uh, have a car that I kind of built from scratch go there. So it was it was a huge honor, and uh, it it was really incredible to kind of be there and and watch how many people were interested in the in Honda's announcement about the the crate motor and and everybody kind of seeing a car that already had it done uh, was it was definitely cool, kind of just being a fly on the wall and being able to watch that, that happen. Have you gotten to spend yeah, I, a lot of time in, uh, just a, a stock type R like a new one? Um, I've actually, I think I've been in one for about, uh, 11 minutes total. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> not, not enough to, to know much about it. Honestly, the, I know they're, they're awesome cars and I, I wish I could get my hands on one, but, uh, they're, there's something else. I think Honda did kind of hit it out of the park with that car. Yeah. I mean, Adam and I have been real surprised with the lap times that those things have been putting down just, you know, coming in through the internet in mostly stock form. Yeah. At, at, uh, at some, uh, at some of uh, the time attack uh, events that we've announced with the grid life series, it's like, Holy cow, those things like with just tires and pads, they're going really fast. <laughs> and, and and like even uh Matt Farah had one uh a at press Road one Atlanta, yeah. at at our yeah, at our grid life event at, at Road Atlanta and he was running like totally stock car. Like I think like it was like low one forty four. Yeah, I think he did a one forty four, low one forty four and a stock really press car. Fast <laughs> and a stock press car. But yeah, very cool cars. Um, and I'm glad to hear that that motor's got a lot of potential as far as strength goes. So maybe maybe you don't have to do built motors in STU anymore. That could be cool. So yeah, you definitely definitely no need in STU uh, with the with the turbo restrictors. And ho- hopefully that uh, we'll eventually be able to find a way to get those those motors into into Honda Challenge, like an H1 or something with with some turbo restrictor or something like that. that would, I think that'd be really cool as well. What uh, uh, how, how, what did the car do at uh, at runoffs? How did uh, how did the week at Indy go for you? Um, the the car was was super fast. I mean the that that track is a is a huge challenge because the the surface is kind of a low grip. So uh, I was kind of chasing the handling of the car a little bit once we got there. But as we we kind of got it better and better every session. Uh, I think we were we were we started the race second, and uh, the Honestly, the race was kind of over for me, I think, on the, the beginning or middle of the second lap. Uh, unfortunately, like the uh, kind of putting putting one of these cars from together from scratch, I, I wouldn't uh, I, I'm not really interested in guessing how many pieces it, it takes to build a car like that, the actual number. But it 
it was just one one bolt that uh, uh, came loose uh, over the course of the three months that I was kind of developing the car leading up to the, the runoffs. And that one caused me to lose ABS. And uh, unfortunately, with with some of the the newer cars and especially kind of with my job, I already knew uh, what yeah. the L safe of, of losing that sensor was. And it, it, the car is very, very difficult to drive. Uh, and I was able to last for uh, a little over half the race, but uh, essentially all the brake pressure was going to the front wheels. Uh, and it was just really, really difficult to uh, try and run up front with only front brakes. So eventually I uh, uh, kind of destroyed the, the right front tire and, and I, I just retired the car before we damaged it. So uh, I was, you ran fast was, lap times though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, uh, I mean, even, even like that, the car was uh, still able to run uh, top, top two or three uh, the whole time, which kind of made me when I was on track, like I was trying not to be uh, upset about it because there's nothing you can do other than just keep trying. So, yeah, uh, but definitely, definitely uh, learned a lot from that. And, uh, trying to figure out ways to prevent that from happening, not just that, but other, other things like that from happening in the future. But, uh, yeah, I think the car had the speed to win and, uh, definitely already looking forward to, uh, next year. Um, I think the runoffs will be at Sonoma. So I've never been there. So that's a, a good excuse for me to try to make it out there. Yeah. A few years ago at Daytona, um, our buddy, uh, he's been on the show a bunch of times, Greg and me, he was fighting ABS issues in, uh, in his, I think it was an 08 or 09 SI, um, because he, he's a, he was running it under ITS, uh, regulations in STL. So he could run the two forty fives from ITS and run no restrictor plate in STL because ITS cars or, you know, they would, they were, they're allowed uh, in, in STL in their IT trim, but IT doesn't allow ABS. So he was fighting. It was like the first race on the car. He just put, put it together. He was fighting the no ABS thing. Um, I think they ended up like chopping their rear brake pads in half. Um, it was locking up rears for him, but yeah, ABS cars without ABS on track aren't always very nice. So it, yeah, I mean, just, it's, it just doesn't work. Yeah. It's funny how, if a car is set up to not have ABS then it's, it's not such a big deal, but if, if the car is completely designed for, for ABS to be working, then as soon yeah. as you take that away, it's, it's really difficult to, I mean, it's, it's always drivable and safe and, and that's part of what we do uh, when we're developing these cars, but in making it safe like that is, is kind of one of the reasons why you can't drive it super fast on the, on the racetrack. So uh, it's, it's kind of a, a double edged sword. Yeah, it changes everything about because it's not just like the old ABS systems. Everything is so much more uh, controlled than like the you know the early '90s, late '90s kind of stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, it totally changes the way everything happens. But have you thought about uh, taking ABS off of the car? Or are you just gonna uh, cross your fingers and hope it doesn't break again, or bolts don't fall uh, out again? <laughs> yeah, I've I've thought about it. Uh, I was even thinking about it before that, uh, ironically, okay. but. Uh, I think in both STL and STU, uh, for starting in 2017, they actually give you a, uh, 50 pound weight break to take to, to not have ABS. So yeah, it's a, it's 2% uh, actually. So oh, 2%. Okay. Yep. Uh, so Which I just right around there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I couldn't remember if I had calculated that number or not, but, uh, I, I considered it, uh, but I, I, 
still haven't made up my mind yet. Uh, it's unfortunately from a, the way the brake pipes are, are routed on a, an ABS car, you basically have to reroute all of them to, yeah. to do that. So, uh, yep. I'm, I'm not sure I'm, I'm ready to put in, uh, that, that much work on, on that because when the ABS is working, uh, correctly, it, it's great. And these oh, it's gotta be awesome. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and then it's always great. Like from, a if it, if it rains or something like that, ABS is so much, so much easier uh, oh, yeah. to drive. So it's, it's a good kind of safety in the background to have as well. So there's a lot of pluses and minuses. Um, but, uh, basically I haven't made my mind up yet. Have, uh, you've got plans to obviously run that same, that same car next year. Yep. Uh, that's, that's definitely the plan. Uh, it, it got back from SEMA on, on Friday of last week. And from there I went ahead and I'm already working on, uh, kind of improving some of the stuff that, that I didn't have time to last year and, and kind of, uh, just looking forward to, to SEMA and trying to figure out what that track's going to want and start kind of morphing the car into that. The, uh, the setup you guys, you guys have at, uh, at heart, um, how does that all work? Cause it seems like it's a lot of, a lot of engineers and there's like a lot of cars floating around and you guys also do pro racing. Like what is the, uh, what is the whole story and background of that race team? Uh, the Honda, basically it's kind of like Honda's kind of a factory race team, but yeah. So the, um, essentially this car wasn't actually built through heart. Um, uh, the, the R and D facility has a, a much, much smaller team, uh, that that's just from Honda R and D associates. Uh, so this car, uh, was built out of kind of leftover parts from some R and D cars, okay. uh, which is kind of the, the way I, we were able to kind of get all the parts together to make it happen. So, uh, th- this team is, uh, is actually, it's, it's about five different teams uh, under one garage. So there's a road race team, there's a rally team, uh, there's a uh, motorcycle on-road and off-road team, uh, there's a go-kart team, and I think actually uh, uh, there's a, a, a drift team as well. So there's kind of a lot of stuff and kind of a really small jam-packed building, uh, and it's, it's all uh, kind of uh, fairly low budget. I mean, the the you can imagine having that many teams under one roof and I, I the budget itself is i i think it, it's essentially just paying for brake pads and a couple of and i think tow fuel and a couple of things like that so it's it's not paying for the racing by any means it's just kind of a little bit of a supplement uh yeah. but the the biggest advantage is uh, all the cars on the team still belong to honda so uh the kind of we're not faced with having to buy the car, uh, from the beginning. So that that's kind of one of the, the big beauties for it. Yeah. That's gotta be uh, a bit, a bit of a, uh, a benefit to your, your checkbook when you don't have to buy, pay for the whole car. <laughs> yeah. And especially, uh, it was fortunate with, with the car that, that, uh, I built this year was, uh, we didn't actually use much of the budget from the team itself. Uh, a lot of it was, uh, either, either reusing parts we already had because we ha- we had a, a prototype uh, Civic that we that that I got to and actually it was three of three prototype Civics that I completely took apart uh, and and uh, used a lot of the parts to move on to uh, the a Honda uh, HPD white body uh, that they donated and uh, I kept all the other parts as spares 
and then HPD donated the engine and kind of all these parts were being donated from different places to put this thing together. So it ended up actually being a, a pretty low budget build. Uh, it was, I, I was worried when we started that we were going to run out of money before I was able to finish it. But then <laughs> in the end, a lot of parts just started like coming in uh, and, and it all worked out. So it was kind of surprising. Is, uh, is, is there going to be any uh, heart uh, racing with IMSA or anything else this year? Um, I, I don't think so. Um, the right now, um, the it's, there's not, uh, a car that really fits into the IMSA series that, that kind of goes, uh, into what hearts normally, uh, kind of working with. So like in the past we were working with the, the 2012 and 2014 and actually started with the 2006, uh, uh, civic, uh, kind of those SIs, uh, kind of with, uh, I don't want to say minimal modifications, but with kind of these moderate, easy to control modifications, we could, we can make the car be competitive. Uh, yeah. but, yeah. uh, right now the class, uh, that we ran in, uh, the street tuner class, uh, it kept getting faster and faster and faster to the point that, uh, the current SI, uh, we would have to do a lot more upgrades, uh, to, to make that car, uh, competitive, but then the type R is actually too fast. Uh, so we're kind of in this middle ground where we don't have a car that would really work <laughs> well in the series. So that, that's kind of, we're at a, a, yeah. a, a kind of a hold. The, and last year, I, I think, uh, your trailer was lent to the NSX program too, wasn't it? That's what, uh, that's what Katil said. Um, the big heart trailer. Yeah, that, that's right. Uh, so one of the, the trailers that they were uh, bringing cars around with was uh, was Hart's trailer. And uh, there were a few guys from Hart that were uh, going to all the races to, to help out as well. Yeah, that's uh, that's 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 weird when you don't have a car for, you know, a car for the program without without changing everything. So um, the. Uh, the NSX program, did you have a lot to do with the developing of the NSX streetcar? Or? Yeah, I, I did. Um, and I, I did all the stability control and kind of active control, uh, like, uh, traction control and ABS on that car as well. And, uh, that, that's the one where we, where I really got to, uh, travel the world. I was all over the place with that car. Um, uh, so it was, it was, uh, honestly, it was probably a terrible thing that I got to work on that project because, uh, unless I get to work on an, on it again, uh, that was probably the best, best job that I was ever going to have. <laughs> Flying around, driving the, uh, unreleased NSX at that point. That's right. Not too bad. Yeah, that's a, that's not a bad way to spend a day. <laughs> yeah. It's uh it's tough to top that. So, uh, there, there was definitely several times, uh, through that project where I, I kind of had to sit back and just, uh, kind of take it all in and try to, to realize that this wasn't going to be a normal thing. So <laughs> it, no. it, it, it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. How many years did that last for you? Um, as far as traveling and doing all the stability control tuning for um, the NSX so I, specifically? Yeah, I think, uh, I started on that car in 2012 and went all the way through its, uh, its release. So I, I honestly even forgot uh, how long that was now, but 
it, it felt like forever, which was a good thing. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, judging but, by people's feedback from driving that car on track, I mean, it's uh, it seems like your your efforts were definitely worthwhile. Yeah, it, uh, there was a lot of uh, my sweat and tears put into that because I had a lot of uh, from especially all the track day uh, stuff that I did when I was in college. Um, I got to drive a lot of the uh, kind of club members cars and uh, I got to drive a huge like uh, uh, range of cars. And uh, whenever I drove cars with the uh, with the the most modern traction control or stability control at the time, like I always had these complaints or things that I wish they had done better. So uh, I kind of once when we were working on the, the NSX, I tried to I tried to squeeze all that stuff in. Uh, to make sure that uh, no one else had that same feeling that I had in the other cars previously. And I think uh, in the end, we were able to to make that car, uh, even with, with all the safety systems on, feel uh, like you were a superstar on track, as long as you were uh, not overdriving the car like a, like too much. You can really push it pretty hard, though, huh? and, and have it not feel like it's invasive and choking the car back, huh? <laughs> Yeah, that's right. It, it's uh, it's quite surprising, and and uh, I think in the end we were uh, because that car has multiple modes, and it's actually changing uh, how restrictive and safe uh, the stability is uh, as you kind of increase all the way up through uh, the track setting, and kind of we were we were trying to uh, use that as a way to kind of help teach the driver. So you when you start okay. out in the most restrictive mode. Uh, you, it's trying to teach you how what the car can do, so you can drive almost any way you want, and it's just going to let you drive at a very uh, kind of conservative pace. But it's still still very fast because that car is so capable. Uh, and then when you go up to the the Sport Plus mode, uh, the car starts letting you be more in control. Uh, it's still very very safe, but it's showing you a little bit what the car is capable of. Now it's it's not just taking control of everything. So it's giving the driver more responsibility. Um, and then once you go into the track mode, uh, essentially, if you if you drive uh, the way you would drive without stability control, then stability control will never come on. So the, it's funny because a lot of people always talk about uh, whether stability control on or off is faster. Well, yeah. the, the problem is a lot of people drive with stability control on like uh, there is nothing that could go wrong. So they're, they're basically com- still completely relying on the stability control to, to maintain the car. But if they were to drive the way they would drive without any stability control, then even in uh, less kind of uh, capable cars, you're still going to be way more impressed on what it's actually allowing you to do. Uh, but the NSX in particular, we specifically tried to keep it out of the way uh, in the track mode so that if you were driving uh, a very precise line and not sliding the car around unnecessarily, then it would never come on and you'd be able to drive the same lap times. Hmm. Yeah, the, and, and that, and that's what, well, what, uh, what you read about people talking about how, how good the car is. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's very cool that, uh, that Honda put real, you know, real track drivers in charge of figuring these things out. Yeah, it was a, it was a huge honor. And 
Oh, well, it was a lot of pressure to, to get it right too. So it was too many hours uh, <laughs> to even think about how, how hard we worked and uh, we, we pushed the envelope a lot for sure. That's cool. Very cool. Um, I got a quick question about, uh, about, uh, balance of performance, um, with, uh, specifically in STL, which you obviously ran in a few years. Um, they're starting, uh, the rules committee has, has voted, which I'm actually on the rules committee, but I was the only one that didn't vote for it personally, but, uh, has voted to restrict the B series motors, uh, just like they did the K series motors for, for years. Um, and uh, what are your thoughts on balance of performance across some of the series that you've ran in? Is that because that, that's a controversial subject with a lot of racers? Um, uh, what uh, do you have any do you have any thoughts versus you know the the IMSA versus uh, SCCA and NASA? Uh, who does it best, and is there any good way to actually make these rules? Yeah, I, I guess I want to start off by saying I I do not envy the guys trying to balance performance because that's got to be one of the toughest jobs because you're not, unfortunately you're not just trying to balance the speed of cars, but there's the, the driver factor. That's really hard to measure. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's always the struggle uh, to try to see if, if it's a, or both. And uh, honestly, there's times when, uh, IMSA got it perfect and there's times when SCCA got it perfect and like we could just keep naming series and then there's other times where uh, decisions are made and it's really hard to uh, understand how they arrived at that so kind of my always uh, desire is is just transparency like I, I wish uh, there was a way to uh, to share data uh in a way that everybody could uh, analyze it without, I, I know the, the, the controversy for that is uh, no one wants to share their data with everyone, uh, yeah. but yeah. Uh, I wish there was a way that we could do that somehow. Um, but uh, the, like I said, the biggest struggle is just, is it a fast car or fast driver or both? So, and, and uh, is I know, it built to the rules? Is it fully developed? You know, there's, especially in club racing, there's so many factors. But exactly, and and I think the the longer you sit here, like you could you could name off extra factors probably every ten minutes for the next five years because yeah, uh, every, everything you everything you can imagine, every variable like uh, just. Even even like what kind of track is it? Is this track good for that car or this car? Like uh, there's there's so many variables that uh, it's it's really difficult to just say this is the right spec. And then even when you maybe you have the right spec and then you go to a certain track, maybe the rules still favor one car versus another because of that particular track. And yeah, uh, so it, I I don't. In, in a lot of ways, I, I like it when the rules are uh, kind of fixed for a little bit of a long time. I, I hate the the rapid fire. Uh, this car was fast for one race, so let's make a change kind of thing. Yeah. So I, stability, yes, rule stability really is kind of what makes a class, you know, big and last long. But it's hard to find that that right stable point too, you know. Right. I think the, the super touring classes in SCCA uh, are are really close already because 
and I think this goes for almost any of the, the power to weight classes. So like the super touring classes particularly are, are, are not power to weight, but they're still like the, the engine displacement rules are still targeting an understood amount of power that you can get out of that. So in a, in a way it's still a power to weight ratio class. And I think that, uh, kind of equivalency helps out a lot. And then, uh, the, the correction factors for front wheel drive versus rear wheel drive and all those things I think are already really, really close. Uh, so I think that's one of the reasons why you see, uh, the numbers really big in those classes. And I think both, uh, STL and STU are growing really fast because of that. Yeah, that uh, I'm kind of attracted to STU this, uh, lately. I kind of want to. I'm building the car right now, and I kind of want to build it. Go a little crazier, that, but uh, what's that? Go a little bit crazier. Yeah, I kind of want to do a floor mount pedal box and go a little faster. Sounds fun, but man, there's some wild builds in STU. I don't know if I want to go up against some of those budgets, but. <laughs> Yeah, it's and then, a, it's and then a factory turbo motors and stuff like uh, like like Kevin's got here. Oof. <laughs> the uh, there are cool classes though, but um, yeah, I I don't know. I, don't, I really don't almost know what I'm going to do with this car. But yeah, so Kevin, the the plan next year is to uh, keep campaigning that car in STU. Yeah, that's that's right. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna keep trying to tweak on some stuff. So. Basically, I got the car finished uh, about three months later than I originally planned. So uh, I wasn't able to do uh, everything that I had planned on the car. So uh, I'm trying to to do that over the winter uh, so that I can start the season with a a little bit more stable uh, platform. This is basically this year, every single race, I had major changes on the car to try to uh, kind of get everything to where I wanted it. So I'm hoping to not have to do that as much this year. Uh, uh, so I'm putting a lot of work into it over the winter to try to uh, kind of start from a, a better spot with the car to, to kind of uh, have to tweak on it a little bit less during the season. Watching your, uh, your, you posted some dyno videos a while back of it, uh, or just a little bit of noise. The car sounds pretty good. Like it actually sounds very cool. Um, but seeing pictures, it, it looks relatively stock. Are you doing anything, um, aero wise or what are your plans for aero development on, on that newer, lighter Honda chassis? Yeah, that's, uh, that's what I'm working right now. So, uh, I'm, I actually kind of designed my own wing for the STL car, uh, for the uh, middle Ohio race. And, uh, whenever I, uh, once Brian Shanfeld started uh, running that car this year, I, I made sure to keep that wing. So I'm, I'm basically trying to uh, get that mounted up on the car now. That's uh, okay. that's step one. And then uh, I am uh, already have a uh, splitter uh, made for the car and currently working on the, the framework to get that mounted as well. Uh, and so Aero is kind of at the top of the list. Uh, because uh, it's going to take a little bit of uh, tweaking to get that to work the way I want. So I want to have that on the car for the first race for sure. And then uh, uh, that's that's basically the main focus that I have uh, for this year. And then uh, just kind of odds and ends and little other things on the car as well. Now, whose whose idea was the green livery that the car is sporting currently? Uh, that was uh, that was my idea. Okay. And, and, 
the, I think in the beginning, everybody I told I was going to, to make the car green, just hated it. They, they, <laughs> they were just seeing the, the bright green road cars and, uh, they just, they thought it was too much, but, uh, I think once, once you put all the, the decals on it and then I, I broke up the, the, the car's not completely green, uh, because of the way that I did the front fascia and the hood, the roof and the trunk. So I think I, I, I was able to dial it down enough that it's not too much, uh, but it's still the brightest car on the track. No matter yeah, where I it's go, it's definitely eye catching, but it's, it's tastefully done. Yeah. I think it's really cool. Like actually, <laughs> I, there's a green, one of those, uh, civics, the new civics floating around my town. And I, uh, I always think that is a pretty cool color for a race car. It's really bright though. <laughs> it's really right. I mean, bright. I, I bet every time you see that car, you look at it because you, you, you see it and you just cannot look away. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe distracting your competitors is, is going to be an advantage in the future. The more races you put on the thing, it's so bright. You can't take your eyes off it. <laughs> Right. And, and actually, I have I have uh, heard from a couple of people on track that uh, they can see me coming from a mile away. So that I think that's uh, that's that's good in my book. Maybe it'll keep the car looking nicer longer, too, if you don't just get driven into in turns and yeah, stuff. People, that's plus. Can, people can see you in the peripheral a lot easier. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Not knock on wood anyway. Let, let's hope. <laughs> Um, what, uh, what's your first race plan for the year? Like which uh, which one which races are you going to run with it? So I'm, I'm still trying to put the, the schedule together now, but uh, I think the full SCCA major schedule hasn't been released yet. Uh, I think there's a couple of the conferences that are still left to go. But uh, I know the, the first race I'm targeting uh, is the VIR majors race. And uh, I think it's, I can't remember if it's March or April. I think it's April. Yeah, it's right around end of March, beginning of April usually, I think. Yeah, so uh, that, that's, the, that's the one I want to go to first uh, because – I think I mentioned earlier, like VIR is one of my favorite tracks. So kind of any, any excuse that I can uh, go to that track, I'm going to, I'm going to jump on it. And I think the, the new civic is going to be an absolute riot to drive there, especially uh, as fast as it's going in the straightaways. I think the, the OPOSs are going to be almost scary, which is probably just that that's exactly what I want. I, I love how scary that track is. Yeah. Those, uh, the OPOSs are so cool. What a great track. Uh, the uh and and that's a big long straightaway um so you're probably going to have uh, a pretty talented car on on that portion of the track too but yeah that's that's the plan <laughs> yeah the, the straight line talent does it does pay off a little bit at at uh, vir that's right i'll i'll take everything i can get <laughs> <laughs> um what uh what ecu are you running in that is that uh, uh you said it's a standalone yeah, it's a uh, a gems uh, ECU out of the the UK. It's uh, it's way more popular in Europe than it is in the US right now. But uh, I can see this thing taking off in the US soon because it's uh, for someone like me who's not spent a lot of time tuning engines. This thing is actually uh, pretty impressive. Uh, I was able to to learn it quickly and uh, kind of. Uh, it, it is extremely capable. It can do way more things than I'll ever be able to do with this car, uh, just from a technology standpoint and, and ECU hardware capability. It, it is it is a really impressive uh, piece of hardware. That's a full-built race car, man. Standalone fuel injection and everything. 
Yeah, the, the coolest thing about this ECU is it's one of the few uh, on the market that can actually control the the direct injection that the the Type R has. So oh, really? Uh, okay. Yeah, there's not a lot of them out there that can do that. I think maybe AEM and uh, Motec are the only other ones that uh, anyone in club racing would be able to afford. Okay. Very cool. Um, the uh, the fuel capacity on those cars, we've heard that the, the factory ones are pretty thirsty on track. Um, how is that car on consumables using a lot more fuel and brake pads and all that stuff? Or, um, So the, the fuel, the tank is definitely a little on the small side, and uh, I, I definitely have to keep a pretty close check on my fuel mileage uh, to, to make sure that I'm going to make it uh, through the long sprint races. But uh, in the end, it's it's fuel mileage is still really impressive for as much power as it's making. Uh, I think it's it's still making over uh, seven miles per gallon in the car, uh, at, even in its runoffs trim, which is uh, pretty pretty much unheard of for for a car yeah, that's, like that. Seems pretty good, actually. <laughs> right. So uh, it, it it's it's pretty impressive, and and part of that comes down to the. Uh, the the boost strategy that we're ha- we have to run with the with the turbo inlet restrictor, but uh, I think it's it's I'm really pleased with it that we were able to come out that high, uh, and then like the the braking on the car, the brakes last forever on this thing because uh, the the car is so light and the, the rules allow us to to run this car so light that uh, that it as long as I keep the some cooling air to it, the the pads last forever. I think. Uh, uh, I was able to run the the same Carbotech pads from uh, the first uh, two and a half majors races. I mean, it, it was, uh, I kept looking at them thinking that I, I'm going to have to change them this session and I would look and they would look fine again. And I just, I, I couldn't wrap my head around it, but uh, uh, I think it comes down to how kind of how lightweight we're able to run in that class. What uh, what inlet restrictor are you running on there? Because the the table ranges from like thirty four to forty millimeters uh, for turbo inlet restrictors. What size did you choose for that? Uh, we we went with the the thirty six millimeter because okay. I, I basically was was trying to run the uh, the smallest restrictor that I could run and still make the car be- just kind of barely below that weight. So that, that's yeah. kind of where I was. Okay, so you're in like the 27, 2800 pound range or something like that. Yeah, the, the official weight is uh, at twenty six hundred pound, twenty six twelve. Uh, because oh, wow. I mean, you get a couple of uh, weight modifiers for being uh, front wheel drive and stress suspension. Oh, okay, yeah. that's pretty dang light, man. Yeah, yeah. That's that uh, you said that you said earlier that the chassis is really lightweight. Is that a lot a lot lighter than the uh, the couple previous generation SIs? Or? Yeah, it, it actually is. Um, so they they did a on the the development of the chassis. They they put a lot more kind of exotic uh, metals into the chassis, and then uh, the the actual entire front uh, kind of uh, everything in front of the front. Uh, frame rails that that holds the radiator and everything up there is all actually a, a plastic bulkhead that that you can take on and off and okay. uh, through all those things they were actually able to bring the the weight down quite a bit so it's and you, you can you can definitely tell when you're on track and the it they were able to do that in a way that didn't sacrifice any of the 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 chassis like uh stiffness so the car still feels really tight and, uh, and you don't feel anything flexing around, even though they were able to take quite a bit of weight out of it. 
that's uh that's good to hear that uh that that in the future we've potentially got good lightweight cheap track cars still because it seemed like for the last 15 years everything just got heavier and heavier and heavier but that uh, that could be a good good choice yeah the struggle is always the the crash safety requirements for the the road cars now so yeah it's it's really cool to see uh, these cars make it through all the new crash safety requirements and still be able to to come out this light. That, I think the that's a, a huge uh, kind of win for the the crash safety guys uh, at Honda R and D because they I know they put a ton of research into that. And, and they seem to take hits pretty well. Our buddy Tom McGorman smashed his up pretty good this year. A couple and, times. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, he just kept on driving it, and they never even really had to do a lot of body work to it. So it seems like it's a pretty strong chassis for what it is, too. But, exactly. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's a cool car. Um, I hope uh, I hope you do well with it next year. I'll be anxious to see it. So, but yeah, we're into this thing for quite a while. We should probably, uh, should probably sign off because people probably uh, – yeah, they're sitting in the parking lot at work waiting to go yeah, inside. Right. <laughs> yeah, Kevin, where, where can people find out more about you and kind of follow along with all of your uh, endeavors next season? Yeah, my the my main areas are uh, the my Instagram is just uh, Kevin Boehm and uh, and you can find me on Facebook as well uh, under the same name. So uh, I kind of uh, try to post all the the pictures of the car and and things that I'm doing uh, on on both of those and. Uh, I try to keep everybody interested in, in this really cool project. And yeah, for listeners who've seen, uh, who have seen the, the recent articles on the, on the K 20 turbo type R motor all over the place. If you see a green, you know, super bright green car in the background, uh, that was Kevin's. So up from the SEMA show. So, um, I, th- I think I would imagine that's probably the first swapped type R vehicle in the world. So, you, uh, it's, you, it's definitely the first one that I know of. But, yeah, you, uh, and, well, and you work for the company, so I would imagine you know you 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 probably had the first one. But uh, so that's that's kind of a cool thing. You know, Hondas have a long history of engine swaps. Uh, as soon as people buy them, they start swapping motors. But um, very cool project, man. I'm uh, I'm glad we got to talk to you about it. So. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, thanks for coming on. And uh, I'm sure we'll see you at some events next season, hopefully. That's right. I mean, I, definitely between SECA, I'm going to try to try to make it out to some grid life events and and some of those as well. So I hope to to see you guys and hopefully some of the some of the people listening as well to to meet you and kind of show you the car as well. Yeah, we'd love to see that thing. Uh, maybe maybe bring it up to Midwest Festival. Um, and one of these days, uh, I'm going to launch a wheel to wheel series with Grid Life. I just gotta we gotta work through all the hurdles. We're almost there. So maybe you can give we'll you a place to run it. What was that? That's almost awesome. there. Yeah, we're almost there. We just gotta we gotta basically finalize rule sets and stuff. So, uh, and then I gotta convince Chris to let me do it and where to start it. So and he seems pretty into it. So I think we're we're gonna wheel to wheel. Maybe we'll give you a new place to play with that thing. But um, anyway, yeah, we'll uh, we'll talk to you uh, hopefully this year sometime, man. Hope uh, hope it uh, hope the winter goes well with developing the car. All right, thanks guys. Thanks. Yeah, Kevin. Have a great night. You too.
My wife and I started dating on AOL Instant Messenger. Man, did you really? Weird. Yeah, that, that was where we set up our first date. Like hidden from your parents, <laughs> and you guys like live in the same town. Yo, babe, nope. ASL. 